From Penn State's Center for Human Evolution and Diversity, this is Tracking Traits. Hello, and welcome to the seventh episode of the Tracking Traits podcast. I'm Nina Jablonski, co-director of CHED, the Center for Human Evolution and Diversity at Penn State University. And I'm Mark Shriver, the other co-director of CHED. Welcome to the podcast. For today's episode, recent Penn State graduate Amy Mook returns to the podcast to interview Marta Tomaskevich about her research. Amy was our very first student interviewer on tracking traits and is just starting a dual Master's of Science program in genetic counseling and public health at the University of Michigan. The subject of Amy's interview, Marta Tomaskevich, is an assistant research professor of biology at Penn State. Her CHED-sponsored research project involves a whole new approach to the topic of male infertility. This is a really timely topic because infertility currently affects 15% of couples worldwide, and based on current information, the rates are projected to rise each year. Marta's research is really bold and exciting. She's pushing established boundaries in the worlds of both medicine and biological research. In the medical world, infertility has almost exclusively been addressed in terms of the female reproductive system. The male side of this issue has been largely overlooked. It really has for a long, long time. And on the biological side, Marta is focusing on RNA rather than DNA, which has been controversial in science. For a long time, RNA was dismissed by mainstream science as this residual, unimportant aspect of biology. But it's this kind of thinking that is the enemy of scientific progress. And we know this about RNA in particular because if it hadn't been for the tireless work of a scientist studying messenger RNA treatment technologies for decades with almost no support from the scientific establishment, we wouldn't have been able to create the COVID vaccines that are making it possible for millions and millions of people to return to a normal life. Katie Carrico was that scientist who saw something no one else did and kept pursuing her vision for decades, going against the grain, and the whole world benefited. Marta's another one of those scientists willing to take risks and try something no one else is doing. She's investigating ampliconic gene families that are located on the Y chromosome with the hope of determining which specific sperm phenotypes relate to fertility and infertility. No one to date has taken this kind of genetic approach to this condition, so it is truly evolutionary. In Amy's interview, she talks about the importance of taking risks and getting out of your comfort zone as a scientist and shares some of her own personal journey. Marta also shares, as just about all our guests do on the Tracking Traits podcast, the importance of her collaborations with others who work in complementary disciplines like medicine and statistics. It's another great conversation. Let's give a listen. Here's Amy Mook interviewing Marta Tomaskevich about addressing the male side of the human infertility equation. Good morning, Marta. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I'm really looking forward to learning more about your research and kind of the story of how you got here. 
Obviously, the Center for Human Evolution and Diversity supports interdisciplinary research on the evolution of humans and human diversity and education and outreach on that research. So if you could just get us started by sharing a bit about what is the broader impact of your research? Sure. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you about my research. Uh, last year in 2020, according to the Bulletin of the World Health Organization, infertility was declared a continually ignored global public health issue. And we know that infertility affects around 15% of couples and the infertility rates are predicted to rise annually. Uh, we also know that um, according to the American Society for uh, Reproductive Medicine, male and female factors contribute equally to infertility, yet most studies have been focusing on women's reproductive health alone. And additionally, uh, sperm counts are declining worldwide, but we don't really know why. So in our CHED study, we propose to bridge this gap by investigating the association between the amount of the products of the male fertility genes, so-called ampliconic genes, and the abnormal sperm characteristics, such as slow or morphologically abnormal sperm. And more specifically, we hypothesize that the variation in the expression levels of these genes can explain some differences in sperm phenotypes between fertile and infertile men. So hopefully this study will provide new insights into um, the reasons behind the male infertility. That's really interesting because we often hear so much about female infertility and not really male infertility. Yes, uh, yes. Thank you for bringing this up. It's it's really timely uh, subject. So um Currently, um, society treats fertility as a female issue and, and, and a woman needs to undergo invasive procedures to evaluate her fertility levels. Uh, yet we know that male factor contributes to around half of the infertility cases. So I think it's time we investigate the male side of the problem and um, in the current study, we are proposing to um, establish a predictor of male infertility. And additionally, um, you know, having a child is, is a natural need of most people. And we believe that this research will pave the way towards personalized medicine, uh, where a couple can evaluate and in the future maybe modulate the fertility potential in order to conceive a child. So that's really the bottom line here. Why is it that we have only studied female infertility and that there is that lack of information about male infertility? So that is a very important question. And I think that, you know, until now, um, when it comes to uh, fertility issues, um, these are only women who are getting evaluated. They are the only one who are getting uh, yearly exams. Uh, with an OBGYN. And uh, we know that the medical infrastructure is, uh, you know, mostly um, male-driven, which means that this uh, the fe only the females are, you know, getting evaluated. And there is, uh, there is a gap that we need to fill. Um, and it's time to address the male infertility now. 
Yeah, that's that's shocking to hear that male infertility is so prevalent and we don't hear very much about it, especially as you're saying, that is a common thing for couples to want to have children. And we often think about whether the female is infertile or not. As you're saying, male infertility is is not talked about. And I feel like in my own experience, it feels awkward to even talk about it in general conversations or actual conversations around infertility. So how would you suggest and how have you had these conversations, whether that's with your colleagues or just the general public, how do we shape these conversations about male infertility? You know, as I said, since last year, um, we are aware that um, male infertility is becoming an issue because uh, sperm counts uh, drop worldwide. So I think people start to understand that it's not only a female issue. So I think right now it's going to be easier because we need to start um, investigate why these uh, sperm counts are happening. So Marta, that's really shocking to hear that the sperm counts are, are dropping globally. I think that's really something that's intimidating to hear. And so do you have any ideas as to why that could be happening? What are some of those causal explanations? So, yeah, there are many speculations um, behind male infertility, but until now, there are no rigorous studies addressing uh, these issues. So one of the reasons could be a lifestyle or the diet, so different epigenetic factors, but no one has addressed it in a systematic way. So I think it's time, uh, you know, we make it our priority. So for those of us that might be interested in how you're going to really investigate this, could you just briefly overview what that research process looks like? Yeah. So uh, before uh, we embarked on this study, uh, we knew that deletions of the regions containing ampliconic genes, so-called azospermia regions, can lead to infertility issues such as uh, spermatogenetic arrest or complete loss of sperm cells. But there wasn't really any studies uh, demonstrating the link between the specific genes and specific male infertility phenotypes. So here we propose to study RNA, uh, which, which provides um, real-time readouts of these genes in question, And uh, we hope to find the direct associations between the expression levels of these genes and specific sperm phenotypes. So so the study involves um, the sample collection, data generation, and and analysis. You were saying that there isn't really much research around these topics. We're getting a brief overview of all of the details that go into this research. So I'm assuming that your processes are pretty unique. So could you just highlight some of those aspects of your research that are unique for our audience to kind of learn what's new and upcoming? Sure. As I said before, we knew that deletions of these genes containing ampliconic genes can lead to some spermatogenetic failures. Uh, But those studies were focusing um, uniquely on DNA. And here uh, we are focusing on studies of RNA, uh, which is an active form of DNA and provides these real-time readouts. You know, it's a barometer of your health. And additionally, we knew that RNA in sperm um, has been a controversial subject for a long time. Uh, It was originally dismissed as residual, 
And I feel that, you know, I'm in the right place at the right time to revisit this subject and apply the most advanced RNA-based technologies to address the male infertility issue. Well, I think I can speak for our audience in saying we're glad that you feel like you're in the right place at the right time to be doing this. I'm assuming that it's not just you being all solo and working on this project. So do you have collaborations? Yes, absolutely. So uh, most successful projects are, are usually collaboration. So it is extremely important to identify people with relevant expertise to accomplish all the aims of the projects. And uh, here, genomicists are teaming up with a statistician and the IVF lab director to perform this research. And it's certainly crucial to support each other in this process and uh, celebrate small achievements during this scientific journey. So what are some of those connections that you have with other campuses? Galal Abdo. He's the only one from the other campus. He's at Hershey. So when I started investigating the human Y chromosome research, we started to be interested in in fertility in males. And when we rolled the IRB um, to collect the samples, we contacted him to collaborate with us. That's how we started. It's surprising that uh, in his, uh, you know, practice, no one has any kind of molecular markers for male infertility. All, all they are focusing on is whether sperm is motile or morphologically, you know, normal. But there is no diagnostics tool, you know. Science is certainly a journey, and I know that you're pretty early on in this study itself, but I'm assuming you've experienced some barriers. If you wouldn't mind sharing some of those, what have been those frustrations in science and research, whether it's related to the study or just in general that you've seen during your career? Yes. So um, it's it's definitely a bad experimental design. Uh, I feel it takes uh, months to develop the right hypothesis, but sometimes it, it takes even longer to design the right experiments to test that hypothesis. And uh, it's definitely not good to rush into performing your research before giving it enough thought. How did you even get interested in science? I think that that's always such an interesting thing to hear from all these different researchers that we all have such different journeys to get into science and especially in your specific field. So would you mind sharing how you got interested in science to begin with and then how you started to establish your career? Sure. My dad, uh, he's an orthopedic surgeon and he always wanted me to become a medical doctor. Uh, that certainly sparked my interest in medical sciences, uh, but I was always scared of hospital and drawing blood, so that didn't work out. <laughs> um, but um, then starting during my master's studies, I had lots of mentors, uh, both men and women, who inspired me along the way to become a scientist, and they definitely left an imprint on how I think and how I do things as a scientist. One of my first experiences in science happened during my master's studies when my supervisor went on sabbatical and I had to perform cytogenetic studies of the crustacean species from the Baltic Sea. And uh, 
I had to start the project from scratch. So I was going from one library to another, looking through the books from early 50s to look up uh, details about the anatomy of the species. And um, this was the only way to establish um, the right protocol for isolation studies of chromosomes in that species. And that experience certainly made me believe that um, I could be an independent scientist. That's so cool to hear. I feel like when you're faced with a challenge like that, it can be quite intimidating, I would imagine. So just hearing that you were able to overcome that and kind of led you to your career is interesting. When thinking about this podcast and how we're located at Penn State, why is the Penn State community important to your research? Penn State, with our world-class experts, is in a really unique position to address many health challenges, uh, such as the global pandemic of infertility. And uh, in our study, genomicists are working with a statistician and the IVF lab director. So, so this research is performed across Penn State campuses. From my collaboration with the IVF lab director, Dr. Galal Abdo, I have learned that the only way to evaluate male infertility right now is to visually assess the sperm phenotypes such as motility, morphology, concentration, and semen volume. There are no molecular markers for male infertility, and it is a problem. Yeah, and I think that goes back to what we were saying about how important collaboration is and thinking about the mission of CHED itself and and how we do want to have those collaborations. And I'm sure that some of our audience may be a bit more scientific and maybe up in their education, but we may also have some younger scientists that are thinking of pursuing careers but not quite sure. So do you have any advice for any of our younger audience members that may want to become scientists in the future? Yes, absolutely. I think um, my advice would be to get out of your comfort zone and take lots of risks in science uh, because every challenge is an opportunity and uh, most discoveries um, come from taking risks. Yeah, I think that's such a hard thing to do is being comfortable taking risks. I think that that's just... A hard thing to think about, especially the way society shapes us to just stick to what you know and not take those risks. But it's interesting to hear that. And I think that I'll even take that advice myself. So obviously, you're just starting off with this study. And um, obviously, COVID is impacting that as well. But what's next for you and your research, whether that's continuing this exact project or um, what the future looks like for you? In the future, um, using a larger sample size uh, representative of diverse population, including minorities, I would like to design a genetic classifier to predict the fertility potential for both men and women from different populations um, to be used routinely in every IVF clinic. Marta, is there anything else that you wanted to share? Like, I feel like there's so much more knowledge up there in your head that we're not pulling out. (laughs) So is there anything else that you think is super interesting for the general audience to know? Just a general audience, I think, are so interested in this idea. Is there anything else that 
you would want to share with the audience? For me, the most interesting thing to find out is that for the longest time, um, RNA in sperm was controversial and people thought that there is nothing there to study. And only last month, they showed that using long-read sequencing technology, you can actually, you know, pull down the long RNA molecules. And it's, it's super exciting. You know, I'm really lucky that I got the funding from Ted because... I really want to to do this study and I really want to integrate different parts, but I think I will take it one by one. I start with RNA and then I hope to move to proteins and then I hope to move to metabolites. But it's good to start with something and maybe already just by using RNA markers, you can already help out couples out there. Where can our audience find you and keep up with this work? I would be happy to engage in conversations. So you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is uh, AmpliComics. And uh, you can also find me on uh, LinkedIn under my full name. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today and sharing a bit more about your research and your story. I'm looking forward to following it as you develop your project. So thank you. Thank you so much. It was great being here. Tracking Traits is a production of Penn State's Center for Human Evolution and Diversity. Our producer, audio engineer, and musical theme composer is Cole Hans, and our logo was designed by Michael Trebone of M. Trebone Designs. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe through your favorite app and help us reach more people by sharing it with others and rating us on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on social media and learn more about Ched and all of our interviewers and guests at our website, Ched. That's C-H-E-D dot L-A dot P-S-U dot E-D-U.